immersive audio podcast. In conversations with industry thought leaders, practitioners, artists, academics, and entrepreneurs, discussing all aspects of this rapidly evolving industry, from art, science, and business to practical insights and project case studies. We aim to inform, educate, explore, and unite the community. Hello and welcome to the Immersive Audio Podcast, episode 67, with me, your host, Oliver Cadell and Monica Bowles. Hi, Monica. Hello. How are you today, Oliver? I'm very good. Um, We haven't had an episode for a while. I'm really excited to be back. I've been busy working on this three-part series about ambient mobility. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous three episodes, I highly recommend you do because um, it's super interesting. And uh, in addition to that, there's been some recent developments that are related to ambient technology outside of the automotive industry and uh, related to film streaming on demand as well. Firstly, like how have you been? What you been up to? Yeah, so uh, I actually got to go into the planetarium in Denver for the first time in two years, and I'm working on putting together, um, or we're going to be presenting a show that we had presented at the beginning of twenty uh, February 2020, right before everything shut down. So that's been exciting, and um, getting back into working in kind of the spatial audio environment in the dome. Um, there's also two events coming up in the dome world for anyone who's interested. Um, there's going to be Dome Fest West and Immersa. Both of them are happening in October. Um, dome Fest West will be in Los Angeles and Immersa is going to be in Montreal. Um, there should be some interesting uh, spatial audio components, um, as well as uh, just, you know, really great full dome films that will be shown at both of those. So uh, if people are interested in uh, in coming, they should definitely check it out. Dome Fest West will be October 6th through 9th. And Immersa is going to be October 15th through 19th. So one side of the country to um, complete opposite side uh, in Canada and Montreal. Both events are going to be interesting events to check out and should be very fun. We've missed quite a few interesting news items. Um, I think it, we don't really have time to go into too much depth on all of them. And uh, maybe for some of the listeners, they're, they're not news any longer. But I did want to mention a couple of things. Firstly, let's just quickly discuss this um, new development with Sennheiser Ambio format enhancement that has been recently added to Netflix. Have you heard anything about it? Um, I've heard a little bit, and I know that uh, it's been somewhat of a topic of conversation on some of the threads I follow. It's always interesting to see how these things get implemented um, in more commercial uh, settings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I, I At the time of working on um, Ambio Mobility, it just happened to come out um, the same week when we released the third installment. Um, so it was very timely and it's really interesting to see how technology was further pushed across different types of media. I think it's really exciting. I actually had a chance to experience the technology in real life um, and uh, it, it, it does sound amazing and uh, the algorithm is really smart. I'm really excited to see what else these guys are going to be doing in the near future. Have you heard of optical microphone developed by CMU researchers See sound like never before. So it's a bit of a mouthful, but um, it's a research project uh, from 
Carnegie Mellon School of Computer Science, uh, where they essentially developed an optical microphone. It's very early days, but it marks a really interesting concept where the microphone technology is approached from a completely different um, because essentially the way speakers are made, the way microphones are made, the the conceptually that that technology hasn't changed for over a hundred years now, uh, and uh, uh, it's interesting how this could potentially impact commercial applications of um, transducer technology going forward. It records what camera sees in in the most uh, simplest way, but um, it picks up vibration. Um, I think there might be some interesting uh, applications in the future for spatial audio, but I think, yeah, it's it's early days. In the same category, the MIT news uh, from uh, Institute of Technology published uh, the paper on the new type of paper thin loudspeaker that potentially could be could work like a wallpaper that you put around the room. I haven't actually heard anything about that, but that sounds really fascinating. <laughs> So, Oliver, you said you've been doing some interesting research lately. I'd really like to hear more about what you have been learning and exploring. Of course. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm on my uh, second year of PhD studies, and I finally got to the point when I am getting um, more hands-on on the actual study, which is really exciting. That's the bit I've been looking forward to for a while. I have uh, found an, an industry partner here in London uh, called Body Swaps. Some, some listeners might have heard of these guys. What they essentially do, they uh, developed virtual learning modules for various social skills and um, uh, soft skills. This particular project will be focusing around the public speaking. So essentially, you will be coached by a virtual, uh, a number of virtual coaches in virtual env- environments to prepare yourself for uh, and improve your presenting skills, uh, public speaking skills, etc., to whatever level, obviously, depending on how, you know, how much time you spend and how committed you are. And, um, and everything will culminate in a simulation where you'll be able to uh, address uh, your audience uh, in various scenarios and various environments and different scale of audience as well. So obviously I'm coming from angle of addressing uh, spatial and interactive audio as well as virtual acoustics. And we will be hopefully deploying a product sometime in Q4 this year and start gathering data. And um, the aim of the experiment is to measure whether or not uh, spatial audio can improve cognitive load and uh, enhance memory retention and uh, ultimately kind of in engagement and performance of the participants with, with this particular content. That sounds really exciting. It'll be interesting to see kind of how that develops. Yeah, me too. So um, we're going to start working on it imminently. So I'll make sure I'll keep you updated on, on the progress. All right. Our guests today, Professor Adam Gans and Rachel Donnelly. Adam is a professor of screenwriting at Royal Holloway University of London and head of writer's room at Story Futures Academy in the UK's National Centre for Immersive Storytelling. Rachel is a project manager for the Second World War and Holocaust Partnership Programme at Imperial War Museums. Adam, Rachel, welcome to the podcast. Um, 
It's great to be here, and it's really exciting to hear about the work that you're doing in kind of spreading the good news about uh, immersive audio. And thanks for the invitation, Oliver. It's really exciting to be with you and your audience and Monica to, to talk about our project. Well, guys, to start with, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your career journeys and how you got uh, into working with Story Futures Academy? I was um, at uh, teaching screenwriting at Royal Holloway and was part of the initial team that proposed both Story Futures and the Story Futures Story Futures Academy, which is uh, the National Centre for Immersive Storytelling. So, and my job is as head of the writers' room is teaching people to think about what's involved in writing for immersive storytelling. So, I guess virtual reality, augmented reality. Um, mixed reality, some bits of kind of theatre, and increasingly immersive uh, sound has become more and more important in our work. Thanks, Adam. And in terms of um, my work, currently I've worked at Imperial War Museums for about 13 years now um, in, in various roles, but, but mostly in terms of Holocaust education um, and working with um, schools learning programmes and, and teacher training. But in recent years, um, I've been working on the development of the new Holocaust galleries at IWM London, which opened in October of um, 2021. And as a follow-on project from that, um, the museum received some funding from the National Lottery Heritage Fund um, to develop a project with eight other museums around the UK to support them to explore with new audiences, local communities, uh, lesser known stories around the Second World War and Holocaust. Um, and as part of that project, we wanted to create and promote um, a, a, an element of the project that promoted um, each of the collections or areas of research that our partners were, were working with. Um, and we wanted to do this in um, an engaging, exciting, interesting way that perhaps the museum hadn't done before in, in a format that the museum hadn't done before. And an academic colleague introduced um, us uh, to Adam and his team at Story Futures Academy. And, um, and, and the project grew from there. If I just pick up on that, we found ourselves moving into immersive uh sound, binaural sound, partly as a result of um, uh, COVID and the lockdown. It was the only way that we could continue yeah. to run writers' rooms was uh, we started sending kind of headsets and, uh, you know, and a recording device to uh, writers in lockdown and asked for their comments on lockdown. And it was the re results were really exciting. Um, and then we were looking at what the next project might be. And uh, uh, as uh, Rachel said, a colleague suggested, was this appropriate? And uh, for us, it was a real opportunity to use binaural sound to continue to work remotely and maybe not deal with some of the kind of huge logistical problems that everyone was facing at that time. And for me, it had a particular interest because I'd already written some audio dramas for the BBC on kind of uh, Second World War and Holocaust-related themes, and Royal Holloway has a, a kind of major Holocaust Research Institute. In fact, the head of the Holocaust uh, Research Institute was one of the academic advisors 
on the new um, Holocaust galleries. So it was really exciting to be able to kind of use the technology both for such an interesting project and such an important project, but actually something where kind of sound, binaural sound with its power to kind of evoke, to suggest, to kind of make people really feel that they're present, seemed absolutely right to do something like that for this kind of material. I would like to come back and talk about the project in more details. I just wanted to just quickly come back to the Story Futures Academy. I personally had a, a privilege to work with Story Futures Academy, but I would even still struggle to explain the the structure of the organization and its kind of its mission and how it how it's connected with a number of organizations um, across the country and beyond. Do you mind just quickly telling our listeners? what the Story Futures Academy is about and what kind of areas uh, of storytelling technologies and um, academia you guys tend to concentrate on. There are eight clusters, which are digital clusters, which are funded by uh, the Arts and Humanities Research Council uh, to kind of change the way in which... um, universities work with the creative industries and particularly in the digital creative industries and in Story Futures, which is based at Royal Holloway and uh, Brunel University and the um, is um, kind of looking at storytelling in uh, um, virtual reality, immersive storytelling. And we partnered with the National Film and Television School to to train people from the current uh, screen industries. So that's uh, film, TV, games, and obviously it also includes radio, theatre, whatever, to come in and find out about the possibilities of immersive. And I think the, 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 the thinking being that actually it's not just about getting new people to come in at the bottom, obviously we want that to do happen too, but there's a huge amount that happens when you get experienced writers who know a lot about writing moving in to um, a new field and trying things out. And so, for example, we were very lucky to be able to work with Michael Rosen on this project. And he he's kind of worked in radio for nearly 40 years, I think, but was incredibly excited about what working in sound, which worked in different ways, allowed him to do with creative storytelling. But we do that with, with all sorts, writers, directors. We've worked with kind of people from Asif Kapadia to cinematographers to uh, the writers who came and worked a previous sound project, which included like Jade Adams, who's a comedian, uh, Ray Morris, who's a uh, songwriter, um, uh, Inua Ellums, who's a kind of poet and theatre maker. It was incredibly exciting to see how much they all responded to be able to tell stories spatially through sound. That's lovely. I know one of my, uh, you know, main questions here is how do you feel working with immersive audio and storytelling has really um, kind of enhanced the experience or been able to uh, communicate the story in a different way? It's really difficult to tell uh, stories about um, the Holocaust or the Second World War. You You know, you don't always want people to know everything. In fact, you know, but at the same time, you want people to kind of emotionally think about the situation, reflect on it, kind of understand it, evoke it. And 
the, the sound has been astonishing in doing that. And the kind of audience feedback and the comments that we've had both from the writers and people who've come to see it is that they kind of been incredibly excited about the kind of presence that it offers, the immediacy that it offers, the kind of personal relationships that it has with the material. Um, and I, you know, and I think that the partner museums have also really liked the fact that, that they've all got different. They're different kinds of institutions with different kinds of stories, and they've been kind of able to work with writers to tell the kinds of stories that they want in the way that they feel suitable. Yeah, absolutely, Adam. And um, just just to completely agree with you on on all of those points, that that from the very beginning of this project, um, at the centre of it was this um, desire, this. Um, uh, a feeling of excitement across our partnership within uh, Imperial War Museums and, and I know with Adam and his team to explore storytelling in a, in a different way. And um, for Imperial War Museums, clearly, uh, storytelling is at the centre of, of what we do, as, as it is in, in a different way with, with Adam and Story Futures Academy. Um, and absolutely, the feedback that we're getting from the partners, from the community groups that the partners worked with. Um, so we had tasked the partners to, to explore working with new communities in their local areas, communities perhaps that they hadn't worked with before or maybe just had minimal contact with before COVID, um, to, to delve into their collections um, and to think about their collections, their physical collections, the documents and photographs in a different way, in a way that could be explored through sound. Um, and as Adam rightly said, the feedback that we got from the writers was incredibly positive. They found it really interesting to work in this, this new format. And although the, the research and the audience insight development work is ongoing, because the, the project, the installation that we created together is on tour across the UK, across the different museums and university uh, settings across the UK, the, the initial feedback that we're getting from, from audiences, from communities and, and visitors to those places is that, that not only if you're in a museum in Cornwall and you're finding out about experiences in, in Scotland or, or Wales or Northern Ireland, um, but you're also hearing different voices, that they are different accents, they're exploring the stories and finding out the, about these new stories. In, in a very different way, in this 360 binaural and immersive format um, that, that seems to be very engaging for audiences. And just to pick up on that too, it is also available online, which meant that so that listeners to this Absolutely, podcast yeah. will be able to put on their headphones and hear all the stories wherever they are in the world. But also, um, we should also have a, a shout out, particularly on a, on a kind of binaural podcast to, I mean, Grace Baird, the producer, but particularly the two sound designers, Neil Cullen and Rich Hemmings, who did a fantastic job, I think, in kind of yeah. really working with the writers, working with the uh, performers, but actually also working on each story to really kind of think about the distinctive way in which they would be using kind of uh, the immersive sound, you know, to make really think what kind of relationship we're we trying to create with each story uh, and how to use the medium to best advantage. And if you remember, Adam, the other element to this, um, which which I also really like to, to tell listeners about, 
um, was the the access element. So the recognition that we wanted to make these stories as ava- available as possible to as many different types of audiences as possible. So um, because the project um, is traveling around the UK, um, we um, spoke to each of our partners and asked them if they wanted to have their stories recorded in additional languages. So all of the stories are recorded in English, um, but all the stories are also recorded in Welsh. The project will be in, in Wales later this year in November. Um, and then two of our partners also asked for additional languages. So we also had the um, stories from Cornwall uh, translated into Cornish and the story from our uh, colleagues at the National Holocaust Centre in Nottinghamshire translated into Polish because a lot of their um, community audiences um, uh, come from a Polish uh, background, Polish heritage. So, so that was an, an added layer of access, um, also an added layer of complication. Um, but we're really pleased that that was the case. Um, and we have the stories translated into Braille um, in all of those languages also, um, and uh, and also a large print guide. So, so most of these um, processes are quite familiar in, in museums across the UK, globally, um, but they don't always all appear within the same project. And so we're really um, proud that, uh, that we worked with Royal National Institute for the Blind, um, and our um, translators um, across the piece to, to get those languages, um, those stories translated into those languages for our for our audiences. So we're really pleased about that too. I just wanted to ask a similar question to you, Rachel, and about the Imperial War Museum, because obviously we have a very international audience. Could you please tell us a little bit more about the Imperial War Museum and what it's about and its heritage and its history and what kind of projects you involved with? Absolutely. Um, so for those of your listeners who might not be familiar with Imperial War Museums, um, the museum was established in 1917. Um, and we are a museum that explores the uh, causes, course and consequences um, of conflict. So, for example, some of the uh, most recent projects that, um, that I've been working on, um, as I mentioned, we've um, recently opened new Second World War and the Holocaust galleries at Imperial War Museums in London. We do also have um, uh, four other sites. So we have HMS Belfast, we have um, Imperial War Museum North, um, the Church of War Rooms in London, and also IWM Duxford. The Second World War and Holocaust galleries were, were opened last year. Um, they, that's a huge project for us, and the project began in 2015, um, delayed slightly by, um, by covid um, and the Second World War galleries take a much more global um, outlook and um, focus in terms of their, their, the narrative of the Second World War. Um, different from our um, previous Second World War galleries, which reflected um, curatorial practice and museum practice um, within the museum at the time, which were much more British and European-centric, um, so much more global uh, outlook this time. And in terms of our Holocaust galleries, uh, we certainly wanted to reflect um, current research and current understanding around the Holocaust um, and also changes in terms of um, museum practice. Um, and that involved you know, the use of photographs, the use of digital technology, sound, um, of experience and the performative space within the, within the museum. 
Um, other projects that, that are happening at the museum at the moment, um, later this year, we'll have um, a new temporary exhibition opened, which is looking at the um, influence of war and conflict in terms of technology and, and gaming technology um, and those relationships um, between the two. And we continue to have an ongoing series of um, rolling and temporary and changing exhibitions across the different sites. So it's a huge museum um, with lots of different moving parts, but a really exciting place to work. And in terms of my, um, my project, uh, I'm project leader of the Second World War on Holocaust Partnership, um, funded by the National Lottery across three years to work with, um, to work with these eight museums across the UK and to encourage them to work with um, local communities to explore um, new and under or under um, heard or lesser known stories um, around both of these histories. So there's a lot of um, a lot of excitement in the museum about the sound installation that we created. I don't know if you want me to go into that or perhaps we pick up that a little bit later. I'm always quite interested in how these organisations connect and how they're funded and what the structure is and why they exist. And it's really interesting to, uh, to hear from people who actually work behind the scenes. Funding is a really interesting subject here because I don't know if just a personal anecdote, you know, when you go to Louvre, uh, if you want to see Mona Lisa, you need to pay 50 euros to get in. In the UK, for those who are not from here, you can go to most exciting museums and galleries and uh, public spaces uh, that have been made available absolutely free of charge for a public, very generously by our government. Uh, obviously, these things are sponsored by National Lottery and various research councils, etc. But the bottom line is that there's no shortage of education and entertainment for all kinds of people, all walks of life and ages to go any day and enjoy whatever you like. And I think that's, um, you know, worth mentioning and worth celebrating. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think it's, um, and, and long may that last, that um, entry to, to um, the vast majority of museums and galleries across the UK um, remains free at the point of entry. Sometimes there are individual exhibitions that are externally funded, or sponsored, that, that might um, involve a fee, but at least getting across the threshold of the, the museum in, in the first place for a visitor is free. Something as well that's maybe worth saying about the Imperial about Imperial War Museums is they both have a fantastic collection of sound and sounds like radio broadcasts from the First or the Second World War, well, not the First World War, but sounds from the maybe from the First World War, yeah. vinyl from the First World War, radio from the Second World War, sound effects and whatever. But they've also used sound in some really uh, interesting ways in their exhibitions to kind of present some of these stories. So it was we were working with a partner who already had a kind of a lot of understanding about the power of sound. So again, it was a wonderful opportunity to work together uh, and really kind of... Uh, bring everything possible out of how might you tell stories about the Second World War or the Holocaust and how sound can be employed to do that. Oh, I was just going to say, it's a good a good point that Adam made and, and, and thank you for that. I think also for, for us, um, it was really important that we worked with a partner that also had that sensitivity to our content and to the partner's content. And I think particularly in Adam's case, because of your... Um, your background, Adam, in terms of writing about 
Holocaust and wider Second World War, um, we knew that from the beginning that that sensitivity would be brought to the project and, and, and to understand where the boundaries might be for, for us as a museum and also for, for our partners um, in terms of language, in terms of the tone of the pieces and, the, and, and how to work with the writers as well. Um, and, and helping them to understand where, the, where those boundaries might be for, for us as a museum and partners, but also where we might be able to, to push against those a little bit and where, where that movement was. It's a very good time to segue into the actual project in particular, Imperial War Museum's One Story, Many Voices. Can you maybe share a little bit of background on how this particular project uh, came about and why it's important? As I mentioned, the... Um, project that I'm managing that's funded by the National Lottery um, and led by Imperial War Museums was hoping to, or one of the aspects of the project is hoping to um, showcase, to um, celebrate the different uh, collections and areas of research of our H Museum and uh, university partners across the UK. So we, we had quite a, a initially quite a, a sort of loose idea around how might we how might we celebrate their collections? Would it be through something visual? Um, would it be a, a temporary touring exhibition? We weren't quite sure at first. Um, and so th this was early 2020. Um, and after several discussions with, with the partners um, and internally at Imperial War Museums, we began to formulate an idea of a touring installation um, and something immersive, something that um, visitors to each one of their, their partners' venues could find out about the partner venues collection, but also find out about the other partners and what, what they were doing in relation to Second World War and Holocaust. Um, and then a conversation with um, an academic contact at, uh, at the museum um, introduced me to the concept and the work that Adam and Story Futures Academy were doing in terms of immersive binaural sound um, and storytelling. And it, and it seemed to us at Imperial War Museums that it was a really interesting connection there to be made, a, a new way for us to explore storytelling um, within Imperial War Museums, but also across our partnership. So for Imperial War Museums, it was something very exciting. Um, albeit at the start, not really understanding what, what it, it was about. Um, and so after a lot of conversations um, with Adam and, and the team um, about what the project might become, we came up with this idea of um, inviting a series of uh, writers, a group of writers, to respond to the collections of each one of our partners um, and then together that we would work with um, Story Futures to create individual stories with the binaural sound technology um, sort of wrapped around it. Um, and then that those stories would be the heart of the sound installation. And I suppose, yeah, we were, obviously it was a really exciting project, an opportunity to build on the work that we'd already done in kind of immersive audio. But fundamentally, we're a training organisation. So we were able, we don't take IP, what we do, our, our aim is to train people in, you know, in immersive storytelling. And so by taking five writers who'd never worked 
worked in the field before and get them to be aware of it. And I think also working with eight institutions or nine institutions, including the Imperial War Museum, and getting them to think about the possibilities of, of binaural sound and even maybe, you know, think about how low the entry level might be to start working in it how you know how uh, but equally getting the writers to think oh that's how this is what i could do with this or this is we our job is already done but obviously helping to realize what was such a kind of significant project in all sorts of ways um, was really valuable for us so it kind of um several boxes at once as well as being a project that um you know everybody at story futures academy was really passionate about making sure that it happened so with in working in such a you know kind of a process how do you bridge the gaps between the initial idea to the fully executed vision it was quite a long process um in terms of those discussions i i, I seem to recall that we began discussions with story features probably around September of 2020 um, and also just to to link back to something Adam mentioned earlier about you know working during covid and the geographical nature of this project that was incredibly um, helpful actually because our partners were all across the UK we could never have met in person that regularly anyway so teams and zoom were a great um, help to this project um, and, and meant that we could work very closely together um, and, 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 and do that over a, a sustained period of time and do that quite regularly. And I, and I think it took about three to four months before we were even in a position to, um, to say what we wanted the installation to be in terms of containing these, these eight, nine, well, eight stories um, in the installation itself, but also getting to the point where we were shortlisting writers that we wanted to approach. And, and along that, that journey, um, and do correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but you know, we came up with things such as uh, what, what were the parameters of, of the project um, in terms of the red lines for, for writers, you know, so guidelines for, for the writers themselves, um, particularly around sensitive language around the Holocaust and, and, and Second World War. We, we, we spent time developing that there was a lot of rapid learning that was taking place during those three months as I say we hadn't worked with this technology at IWM before so we were very much learning and grateful for that learning um, and sort of holding our hands in a sense particularly in those those initial months to explore what what was possible um, with the project and to, to develop its foundations um and and after that progress is quite rapid in terms of working with the writers working with the partners to explore their collections and bringing in community groups that the partners wanted to work with to create writers packs for example of material from their collections for the writers to respond to so that might be in photographs or sound clips or oral testimony um, and and then that creative process of the writing, um, we had lots of deadlines. We didn't always meet them, um, but there was a lot of collaboration with myself, with Adam, with the writers, um, and the partners to to then create those stories. And then after that, it was the sort of more technological process, if you like, um, that, that Adam's team of um, engineers then took over the then overlaying of the sounds onto the stories. I think we might also say that there were kind of two 
bits of training. As uh, Rachel said, it was incredibly ah, yes, the complicated. Yeah. It was an incredibly complicated process to think about the stories, match the writers to the stories. And actually, what was really exciting is we're working from kind of really major regional museums with kind of quite big staff and maybe multiple venues in National Museums of Northern Ireland or the Tyne and Weir Museums in kind of Newcastle and Tyneside to kind of quite small institutions in, you know, in uh, Wales or the group in Huddersfield, which comes out of a kind of group of Holocaust survivors who met themselves in, in Yorkshire or whatever. So they're really big organisations to quite small ones. And that was also um, really interesting, but also involved like different sensitivities or ways of expectations that they had. But we designed two training projects, one for the writers, where we introduced them to uh, writing for binaural sound, met the partners at various points. We brought in um, uh, Gareth Fry, who's the sound designer on The Encounter and on uh, um, the kind of Harry Potter's Cursed Child. And as kind of, you know, I'm sure Oliver, I don't know if he's been a guest on this show yet, but you know, he's uh, he's a fantastic, obviously both as a sound designer, but also as a passionate communicator for for kind of immersive sound. And he's he talked, and we also brought the writers together and played them different examples of of work and got them to talk about those possibilities. And then we did something similar with the um, with the museums um, or the partners because no, they're not all museums but thinking working and there we work with um duncan um speakman uh who again is a kind of creative sound designer there's a lot of sound walks but has also used sound to interpret different kinds of stories on quite often a lot of site-specific work so uh and then we talked about kind of the, some of the issues about kind of difficult histories and representing difficult histories or whatever. So that both of those things were going on to both introduce people to the medium and think about what they either as institutions or writers might want to do in the medium and the way that it could work. And then it was just lots of iteration, I think, of you know what ideas did people have, which ideas did the museums want which ideas do the writers want which were kind of feasible you know which were you know all that kind of process of which I'm sure you both know of kind of realizing everything um some of the museums like the Jewish Museum in Manchester kind of I think was moving into closing down whilst because it was a refurbishment but they actually had a really good group of young people who had a kind of ongoing relationship with the museum and they got very, very interested in, you know, the story and how it might be realised. And, you know, that was also became very exciting to have a group who were so kind of passionately involved in what sort of story might be told. That was great, Adam, wasn't it, that session? We had uh, a group of young um, students um, from a high school in, in Manchester who were dialing in from their bedrooms basically and um just so passionate and engaged uh, with the project um and it, yeah that that was a that was a real highlight but yeah there were lots of practical challenges but along the way we we overcame them as i'm sure lots of uh, yeah creative people had to do and 
other organisations had to do during COVID. But uh, yeah, it was quite a challenge, but we got there, thankfully. So Adam, what does it mean to write for binaural audio or immersive audio? Um, Well, as I say, I think it's thinking about things spatially and thinking about kind of where something happens and where you want the audience to be where it happens and to kind of, so you're thinking about staging things in a really different way, both kind of how close, how intimate, how uh, how, uh, literal, you know, all of those kind of things which maybe audio drama does you kind of need to do at a different level and maybe also think about does it move or not do you know what I mean what kinds of and how are you going to think about that as being something that's always present in your writing and there are certain moments which I still get incredibly excited about when I listen to them again you know the moment there's a moment in uh, the Cornish story where uh, um, you know there are some planes attacking some are we allowed spoilers? Maybe a little bit of a spoiler. Though. Planes attacking kind of Breton fishermen who have fled from uh, France to Penn's, uh, uh, Cornwall to kind of take refuge during the war, but to continue the resistance. And the sound experience of that is just so thrilling. Do you know what I mean? It feels like you're in a cinema in kind of 5.1 sound, but even more so. Sometimes, though, you're kind of hearing somebody... Uh, reminiscing about a kind of really experience that they had as a child, you know, where they're kind of aware of, you know, terrible things happening in a wood in the Ukraine, but also really present with the conversation between the the young Liverpudlian Yemeni poet who's kind of got really interested in refugee stories, having a kind of very intimate relationship with a kind of Holocaust survivor whose story she's retelling or reinterpreting. So, again, that's thinking about how can we create not only intimacies of the story, but intimacies around the telling of the story and just the feeling of hearing that, that interaction between two people who are kind of at different ends of their life and different world experiences, but also who actually become have a huge amount that they share in telling and uh, listening to one another's stories or one another's work, which I think is profoundly moving. Rachel, you'd mentioned um, that you worked a lot with the blind community for making this um, accessible. Would you mind to elaborate on that collaboration? Yes, well, we um, it, it was more through our um, access consultants, I have to say, um, because for various reasons, we couldn't actually test the um, installation physically um, with visitors who were um, blind or visually impaired. So we were relying quite a bit on our uh, access consultants. So to give a mention to them, GOSS consultants, but they they gave us a lot of advice um, in terms of their experience of working with um, blind and partially sighted um, visitors to, to cultural organisations. But we did also work with um, Royal National Institute for the Blind in the UK, um, who also gave us advice about you know, positioning of the text on the installation itself, um, the positioning of Braille panels, um, and actually the, the creation of the, the Braille books uh, that are also part of the installation. Um, so, so more in terms of um, the creation of the physical installation itself, 
um, rather than the actual stories themselves. Our partner in Northern Ireland, um, National Museums in Northern Ireland, did involve um, members of um, an RNIB community group in some of the early discussions about which content from their collection they found interesting and thought might make interesting um, subject material for the for the writer for their story. All right, Rachel um, and Adam, what what has the feedback from visitors been so far about the digital installation in museums around the UK? It's been incredibly positive, Monica, um, and we're we're really delighted with that. Um, we the the installation is on its it's at its fifth location now. Um, so it's been to places such as Cornwall um, and Huddersfield um, and Newcastle and Scotland. So we've, we've, we've had quite a few venues now that have, have had the installation. And as, as Adam mentioned before about that intimacy of storytelling and that, that sense of feeling um, almost within the story. So we're, we're not trying to recreate these events um, as such, but we're trying to give a sense of um, these events because clearly the writers are responding to the collections, their creative responses to the collections are not exact um, representations of the events. Um, but uh, audiences are telling us that they feel that sense of closeness, of intimacy, of presence um, within the stories. Um, also, we're finding um, greatly um, encouraging that visitors for example, in, in Cornwall, are very much interested in stories about um, Second World War and Holocaust that are happening in other parts of the UK. So while they really appreciate um, hearing about stories or engaging with stories, I should say, about their local areas, they're, they're also being drawn into um, the stories from the other uh, from the other partners' collections, that's that's really exciting, and and particularly this is something that we spoke about in the very early days of the project was bringing um, voice actors to the stories. The partners are very insistent about this, also, but using voice actors um, where that was possible, because there were one or two instances where a different decision was made. But by by and large, um, the stories are voiced by voice actors um, who are uh, from those local areas. So we have you know, Cornish actors, we have you know, Welsh voice artists, Scottish, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and the audiences are responding to those different, hearing those different accents really, really well. Um, they like hearing stories in accents that, that aren't just London and the southeast um, of England. So that's really encouraging to hear. And as, as a project that has national reach, um, and we are working, Imperial War Museums are working with uh, partners across the UK. That, that, that's only right. Um, what we're also really pleased um, to, to have as part of the project um, is a PhD student, a PhD researcher, I should say. Her name is um, Isabel Verhult. Um, and she is working um, with Adam and the team at Story Futures Academy um, and has worked with us to create um, audience insight research um, across the installation. And Isabel's research, although it won't be published until September of 2023, um, so after the end of this project, um, at each stage um, when the installation is visiting each partner, she is providing us with um, some of that audience insight analysis. Um, and we're sharing that with partners, which is absolutely fantastic. 
Um, and, and, and certainly this is where we're getting um, that on the ground uh, feedback as the project progresses. So we're, we're really um, pleased to have Isabel on board as well. Uh, yeah, I would uh, just to say, yes, the, the feedback has been great and uh, we're really excited about what happens next. Speaking of next, uh, what are you working on currently? Well, I'm working, uh, I've been working on the Story Trails project, which is another opportunity, uh, immersive storytelling, which is happening this summer and people in the UK and hopefully elsewhere will be able to uh, kind of visit 15 towns around the country where we will have augmented reality uh, stories, uh, VR stories, and kind of uh, maps of towns, also using uh, Rich Hemming, the kind of sound designer who worked on uh, One Story Many Voices. Um, and that's been extremely exciting. And I'm also uh, working on another project, which I will can't say too much about at the moment, but which I'm extremely excited about and will happen next year. Uh, Rachel, do you want to uh, quickly cover the um, current schedule of the installation and just mention locations and the dates? So if anyone's interested in this particular project, they can uh, go and hear it and enjoy it and experience it for themselves. Absolutely, yes. Um, so currently, One Story Many Voices uh, is at the Discovery Museum, which is part of Tyne and Weir Archives and Museums in Newcastle in the northeast of England. Um, after that, in uh, late August uh, 2022, it will go to Northern Ireland um, and then it will come back across um, to Wales um, before continuing on to our partners in Manchester and then finishing at the National Holocaust uh, Centre and Museum in Nottinghamshire next March of 2023. So we've got um, six or seven months left to run on the um, on the installation tour. Um, and we do have a, a website for the tour. It's um, one story many voices um, .org.uk and people can um, find out about the tour there and they can read the stories in the different languages and also importantly, listen to the stories. So um, I'd really encourage people to do that. Adam, what's the best way to get in touch and get involved with any exciting stuff that's going on at the Story Futures Academy? We have uh, uh, a number of um, um, kind of opportunities still. We're training a lot in kind of uh, virtual production. We're still kind of thinking about you know, train introducing people to find out about the possibilities of immersive storytelling. So do kind of check out our website, which is storyfutures.com forward slash academy. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, I'd also say that I'm really interested now in the possibility of binaural sound as a way of kind of prototyping all immersive storytelling. I mean, if you're actually doing spatial storytelling, um, you know, we, um, eyes point in one direction, but ears kind of are always operating spatially. And we, it, it's ears more than, and sound more than anything that makes us think spatially. And in fact, I can suggest a really, I can, a link uh, for um, a, uh, a masterclass that uh, I, shared with um, um, 
Celine Tricar, who is a kind of VR author and Venice Prize winner, and Liam Young, who describes him as a spatial architect, but has made some very interesting VR work. And both of them talk about the importance of sound in prototyping, but also for really getting people to think about, uh, you know, that sound leads if you're making something that's a piece of spatial storytelling. And sound is often neglected, but is actually probably more important to get the sound right than to get the pictures right. The only other thing I would add, Oliver, is just that um, if people wanted to find out about the wider Second World War and Holocaust Partnership Programme, they could visit Imperial War Museum's website at iwm.org.uk. What are you excited about in the future of spatial audio and its role in immersive art and storytelling? Um, I mean, I think just how easy it is now and um, to record stuff and how, as people are listening more and more through headphones, how more and more present it's going to be. So, I, you know, podcasts that really start to use kind of immersive, I'm really excited about. Something that I've actually really liked in a couple of the work that we've done uh, is humour. I think it's an incredibly chance to do some really funny work that kind of, you know, uh, Thinks you think uses slapstick, uses space in all sorts of ways. So that's what I'm most excited about, I think, is how to tell stories differently, how to bring spatial elements to everything that we do. But I think comedy is actually really exciting, probably particularly after the, the project that we were working on together. And our last question, can you both share one piece of advice that really helped you in your career? Rachel, do you want to go first? Um, wow, that's such a huge question. Um, I, I think that listening has to be one of the most important um, skills in the work that I do. Um, we hear and share the most um, challenging of experiences within Imperial War Museums, people who have been involved directly in conflict, uh, who've been affected by conflict and, and how that um, trauma um, can continue through generations. So listening sensitively, listening carefully, and trying our best to to tell those stories with with that sensitivity and with with the honesty that those stories deserve. Um, and, and and that's something I try to carry throughout all the work that I do. On a podcast about binaural sound, I think listening is about the best advice that we can possibly. I, I can't do better <laughs> than that. Thank you so much, Rachel and Adam, for being with us today and sharing about your project and the exciting stuff you've been doing. And thanks so much, Monica and Oliver, for having us on your show. Thank you both. Take care. If you enjoy the podcast and would like to show your support, please consider becoming a Patreon. Not only are you supporting us, but you will also get special access to bonus content and much more. Find out more on our official Patreon page, www.patreon.com slash Immersive Audio Podcast. You've been listening to the Immersive Audio Podcast, hosted by Oliver Cadell, Bjorn Jacobson, and Monica Bowles. This episode was produced by Oliver Cadell and Emma Reese and included music by Rhythm Scott, Got an idea for an episode or want to comment on something we've discussed recently? Drop us an email at podcast at 1618digital.com 
or find us on Twitter at iAudioPodcast. If you've enjoyed our show, head to our page on iTunes and leave us a review and rating. It really helps us out. Visit immersiveaudiopodcast.com to access show notes and other episodes and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening. Looking for more audio-related podcasts to listen to? We're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance, featuring a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. Be sure to hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.